Hey, thanks for joining us on the From the Bench podcast presented by Projectile Warehouse. I'm your host, Taylor Weezy, and this podcast is going to revolve around phone calls that you might make from your reloading bench to fellow reloaders and experts in the field. Today's guest is Andy Little, a fellow PRS shooter and all-round good bloke. Andy has some great achievements in his shooting career, winning multiple PRS matches in the production class in 2019 and is a regular frontrunner in just about any match he enters. We chat with Andy about how he got his start in reloading and also what he's working on now for the upcoming PRS season. Enjoy. Hey, Taylor, how are you going? I'm good, mate. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah, kicking back, taking it easy. Nice. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. Um, thanks for jumping on tonight, man. Uh, you've come in at short notice when we had a uh, guest that couldn't make it tonight. So, no, I really appreciate yeah. you getting on, mate. Yeah, no worries. I was just, um, just tidying up the room, actually, putting some putting some brass away and sorting out, you know, the, the few things I've got to do coming up to our, you know, matches at the club. So, yeah. Nice. Have you managed to stumble across any uh, components that were hiding in that reloading room that you didn't think you had? Uh, I reckon I have. Um, I, cause I did did recently clean up the room and, and move a few things from out the shed into the room. Um I didn't realise how many T70 Winchester guys I had. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> yeah, so they were, um, when I, I guess when I first started reloading, um, they were the rifle I was reloading for to start with, and I just wanted to try all the different guys. So I've got Hornady, RCBS, and Redding. Yeah, um, wow. What did you... <laughs> what, wants, wants some. <laughs> what did you start with, and which one did you end up with, and what was your favourite die for that 270? Right, well, to me, that's going back. I haven't actually loaded for that rifle for a long time. Um, I reckon I started off with Hornady um, dies. Um, and like I'm saying back in the early days, the 270 was the second rifle I bought. Um, and I was trying to load match-grade ammunition for a very rough second-hand hunting rifle. Um, <laughs> you can imagine all the, like, all the, Stuffing around, I did trying to like get a tight load, just yeah. trying to get everything out of this rifle, and it just wasn't giving it to me because um, it, it's it's a it's an old secondhand rifle. But I definitely started with some Hornady guys, um, and no complaints there; they worked pretty well. Um, but I think I think what I did is I they had like a cool feature where if you started to get a tight neck, and you know you're really forcing the case out of the die. Um, I think the expander mandrel could like zip down the, the thread. So I have to, I can't quite remember how they work, but yeah, it was something along those lines. But I know I broke a die, um, yeah, <laughs> somehow, and then moved to RCBS. And then uh, I think shortly after that, I just heard that Reading did really good dies, so I got some of them as well. <laughs> All of the dies. Yeah, yeah, it's probably a bit excessive. The amount of time I've reloaded for that rifle, I reckon it's probably would be almost a good year, year and a half, since I've touched the, the loading stuff for the 370. So um, I'd pretty much be starting from scratch if I had to pull that out again. <laughs> yeah, it's that's probably like a really good lesson for like a lot of our listeners that are getting just getting into it. You probably, if you had your time again, I'm guessing now with the experience you had you probably wouldn't have bought three different sets of dies. Like knowing the role that a die plays in the reloading process, you probably would have 
just settled and worked with one and maybe changed some other components around that rather than, you know, purchase so many different dyes to do the the one job. Is, is that a fair assumption? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think so. Yeah, now that you touched on that, I reckon the first set of dyes I got was a, was a two-set, like a, so I had the seating dye and the full-length sizing. And I reckon one of the reasons why I got another set uh, was I had a neck dye. Um, because, you know, I was just trying to pump out some accuracy mm-hmm. <laughs> and play with that. Um, so I think that was one of the main factors why I've got so many sets now. Um, but I think looking back, looking back on my reloading adventure when I first started with that rifle, looking back, I sort of gone, I can't believe I was expecting half MLA out of a lightweight secondhand 270. Like, yeah. And, and like, Sure, you can definitely get that sort of accuracy out of new 270s um, and, or, or better. Um, but the one that I've got, you know, an old timber stock that had a crack in it, um, an old flogged out barrel from the farmer, and it, it wasn't in the best shape to start with. And I was expecting, or I was trying to get half half inch group. So yeah. <laughs> I spent a lot of time stuffing around with that. You know, probably should have just done something else. Yeah, that but that's so like that's a component and and a rifle issue really isn't it? Like I mean, any any caliber is capable of shooting really good groups, and the two seventy is an amazing round and has been an amazing hunting round and can also be a great match round as well. Like there would be nothing wrong with someone loading really precision ammo for a two seventy. It's just the fact that what you were working with was a you know less than adequate setup for your expectation, and I think expectation is. You know, we all have it. We all have this idea of shooting this one whole, you know, group gun or, you know, whatever. And then I see these guys that have less expectation and they're happy just to go and shoot a one-inch, two-inch group and then call it a day and be like, she's sweet, and then just go and make heaps of ammo for that. And they have so much fun. So I think, you know, clocking clocking your own expectation and knowing what you want to get is going to – it's going to be your sort of – guide on what you choose as far as reloading components and what rifle and what caliber you choose is all going to depend on that expectation isn't it you were wanting match grade you were wanting you know ultimate precision and so that informed your decisions and ultimately moved you out of you know shooting what you were shooting so that's probably something very crucial for people getting into reloading to keep in mind like what are my goals at the end of the day with my reloading yeah definitely and and to be a little bit uh, realistic in maybe the platform you're using isn't going to achieve achieve those goals um, for you. I mean, I definitely realised that when I bought a new my next rifle after that was a two to three varmint barrel and stuff, and and that was fantastic. And that's when I sort of realised, man, I've been wasting a lot of time on this old rig um, when it just it just couldn't do the job, um, and and spending a lot of money on reloading equipment as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, lessons learned, and and now you move on, and now I'm sort of like you said, you for the people who kick back and load, you know, um, ammo that you know has a half inch group or even a one inch group, and they're happy and they're just good to run with that. I've, I've sort of taken that little bit of approach with my loading, um, especially for um, like PRS. Because we sort of get so much, I find we get so much wobble and so much variance between barricades and shooting, and you're under the pump, and and you know your heart beats going, and like a, a half inch group for me, if I'm rushing, is is great. So I think that's just 
not a bad place to start. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's yeah, and that's also like sorry to cut you off there, but like that's um, something I found on my own journey as well. Was I was very caught up on the you know extended deviation and the extreme spread of my rounds, and I was always putting the rifle over the chronograph to measure you know, what they were doing and trying to get my rounds super consistent. And then when you actually run the numbers through a ballistics calculator, you realize there has to be quite a big gap in feet per second to actually make a measurable distance, a measurable difference, sorry, at the distances we're shooting, these PRS matches on the size targets we're shooting. And so when you actually look at it for our designed purpose that we're shooting, we're probably... You know, we maybe like you're saying, I know my personality is the same. I have maybe perhaps overdone it and tried to really, you know, get every last bit out of it when my shooting and my position building and all that is not up to scratch to match what I was trying to do with the ammo. Yeah, definitely. If, uh, if I get to get to the point where I can outshoot the accuracy of my rifle, um, <laughs> then I'll look at, you know, all the extra bits and pieces you can do. But it is, um, it, it gets that point of, do you spend your time behind the bench and and really trying to get it to that you know point two group size, or do you spend time out in the range behind the barricade working on your skills, which you would probably find a much larger um, improvement? Um, yeah, yeah, so, it's a it's a fine but, fine balance, isn't it, between the two? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, don't get me wrong, being being a perfectionist about your ammunition and um, and your processes does also give you that um, that mental confidence of knowing that your equipment is good and knowing that everything is spot on. And if you miss a shot or or for some reason you um, yeah you don't hit a gong, you you know that it's on you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that for in in the game that we play with CRS, um, that's also an important factor, like having and faith in your system and your reloading and knowing that, you know, that you know, no matter what time of day it is or um, situation you're under, that gun will shoot half them away. If you miss, it's on you. Fine balance. And, and for everyone, there's going to be, you know, if you're a hunter, it's that, you know, how much time do you spend getting that load, you know, exactly right versus getting the load that will do the job and then getting out in the field and, and practicing your field craft or practicing your you know, ranging your targets and making a quick adjustment on your scope to, to get an ethical, you know, shot off in time and all of those other bits that come with it are just as important. Mm. But like you're saying, you have to have the rifle and the ammunition loaded to a point where it does its job every single time. And then if you do have a mistake, you you know, it's on you. That's, that's, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of factors at playing a lot of different mental uh, methods and way to go about things that's for sure um so you like as far as your prs journey goes you've been shooting six five creedmore is that correct for the last couple seasons yeah so for the last um three three years um yeah well, two two seasons last year didn't really didn't happen did it um yeah no. six five creedmore in a in a pack a one yeah, and what's your? I'm sort of just um, interested to get each guest to sort of go quickly through the, what their 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 rough load is. So, what what components are you loading in that? Um, you you're running Hornady Hornady brass. Yep. So I was running Hornady brass. Um, with the geez, I'm gonna have to think back now. <laughs> um, it was uh, uh, the Hornady ELD match 
uh, projectiles. 140, um, 140 graners? Yep, they're the, yep. Yeah, they're the ones, 140. Yeah, yep. still coming back to me now. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, they, they worked great for me. I reckon I probably would be close to 2,500 to 3,000 rounds for that barrel, for yep. that rifle, and um, didn't really have many issues with it. Um, so, yeah, I think I was running 42.5 grains of um, AR-2209. Yeah. Yeah. I think of just off memory, I think I was getting about 2,800 feet per second. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a pretty, I think, I feel like that's a pretty common load. I did a bit of like, research um, and just sort of picked a mid-range load and went with it, um, and it turned out to be pretty well spot on. So I um, didn't feel like I had to do much load development for that rifle. Yeah. Those I know in particular those ELDMs because I'm shooting the exact same thing. I'm shooting a six five Creedmoor um, with one forty ELDMs with AR two two oh nine as as the powder of choice. Um, and uh, I've got slightly less powder in there than yours. Obviously, I'm using different brass, and every gun's going to be different. And people need to stick to published loads. It goes without saying, and 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 work their own way up. But um, I found with those ELDMs, they just brilliant at handling different uh like jump levels they pretty much shot from wherever i loaded them and for for our listeners maybe wondering what that is that's about you know the seating depth of the projectile in the case whether it's got quite a big jump into the rifling in the barrel or whether it's loaded quite close to the rifling and i found personally that um i'd read some studies done by mark gordon from short action customs in america and he'd done a lot of development um with the 140 LDM and 147 ELDM and um, I was listening to something that he was talking about and he said 70 thousandths jump for that 140 ELDM worked in nearly every 6.5 they tried it in, 6.5 Creed, 6.5 47, um, just all the different 6.5 variants on different people's guns. They were jumping that bullet 70 thou off the lens and it Mm. just seemed to really work. It just sort of had it in this jump node and so I started there and and it worked and then moved it forward and moved it back and found that pretty much anywhere I put that bullet, it, it worked really easy. So you were probably experiencing the same same thing, you know, I was. I'm not trying to sell, you know, Hornady LDMs, but it was just an easy bullet to load for. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely, um, I definitely went through the process of getting my overall length using the, the Hornady gauge and um, working out, like, where it touches the land, my jam and... Um, like where, yeah, you push the bullet into the lands a bit. Obviously, I don't try and run like that because it puts unnecessary pressure on it, I feel. But um, after I did all of that and I started loading, I think I was maybe 25 rounds in, um, realised I wouldn't fit my magazine. Yeah, <laughs> right. So if that's something that a new loader can take away from that is, you know, after you've done that full process, um, well, I, I could have essentially not done the process at all and just loaded to mag length. Um, is what I what I ended up doing. So, um, but yeah, there you go. So mine was definitely jumping a long way um, because I know I could have pushed it for at least a couple of mil. Like it was, yeah, it was a long way. I think uh, that's probably going to be. Well, we're not going to dive into the bullet jump rabbit hole because I've got other things I want to ask you. But there is a mm-hmm. lot of research popping up at the moment about you know bullet jump and and people finding that they're jumping them jumping their bullets a lot further than, you know, previously, you know, people were trying to load, like you were saying, close to the lands. And yes, certain bullets maybe do prefer to be up close to the lands. But if you can find that node that 
is jumping more, which lowers your initial peak pressure and fits in your magazine easier. That's like obviously an advantageous thing. So um, Definitely. it's something I'm particularly personally really interested in and a believer in. And, and uh, it's been interesting seeing the research on that, but it's cool that we both sort of found that that bullet was easy to load for in a, in a six, five creed obviously shows that it works that combination. Yeah, well, that, that's it. And there's, I mean, there are plenty of other factors too. I think at the time that I started shooting that rifle, um, it was the most common, well, the easiest, the easiest bullet to get. Um, there was a few other brands of, of bullets that were getting a bit tight to get and, and were getting a bit pricey. Um, that, that was a bit of a factor as well. Um, and I did think of something else, but, oh, yeah, there are definitely multiple series coming out now, whether you're, you chase the lens, um, which is something that people say is constantly changing. The lens is constantly wearing away and changing. So do you chase, keep chasing the lens or do you just try and find a, a flat spot in your velocity or do you just try and um, tune your barrel with all the new barrel tuners and accessories coming out mm. for that? Like there's, there are so many different options now and it, it is hard to decipher what's right for you. Oh, I um, guess if you don't have a tuner uh, for your mm. barrel, then that's Yeah, and that that's a good that's brought up a question that I had here for you was I'm I'm curious to hear where you get some of your resources from. So where what are those websites you're looking at? What are the forums you're reading when you're researching, you know, maybe for a new caliber that you got you that you've got or you're about to start reloading, what websites and things are you looking at? Yeah, so I I'm one of those massive YouTube fans. <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. So, I mean, I will um, just spend hours and hours on YouTube listening to stuff. Like, even if I'm um, just playing something in the car, I just have the, have the stereo on listening to it. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of the stuff I, especially for reviews um, on components, um, Gavin Tube, I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but... Yeah, is he um, the re- reloading doc? Well, what is he, what's his um, YouTube called? Uh, so it's the yeah, ultimate reloader on yes. Gavin Tube. Yeah, yeah. So he, uh, he's a very knowledgeable guy, and he, it's amazing the, the depth that he goes into things. Um, and he'll do all the testing. I feel like he'll do it all for us, and then you just sort of like thanks for that information. I'll, <laughs> I'll um, go from there. Um, so yeah, he's he's great. Um, Modern Day Sniper podcast. I listen to those guys a fair bit. Um, they, they come out with some really handy stuff. They did the, the big summit um, recently where they had heaps of guys talking. Um, I found that stuff really, really knowledgeable. Um, I do have to go back and re-listen to a few of them because they do they do go over so much information and I feel like I just lost half of it. So that's something I do plan on doing, going back over a lot of their gear. What else do I listen to? done a little bit of reading just on, on forums and things, but... Really, YouTube and, and a couple of podcasts um, is, yeah, where I'll, where I'll get all of my, my stuff. Um, there is actually some on some other podcasts I listen to. Oh, Precision Rifle Podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Modern Day Sniper, Shooter's Mindset, who listen to them as well. Yeah, what about um, the, the VP Precision guys? Do you listen to them? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. 
there are so, so many out there. Aren't yeah, there? yeah. So, so that, there's there's a lot of resources, and I think that was something that Rusty and I wanted to set up with this podcast. Podcast was um, we wanted to like show all these different resources and sort of help people expand that knowledge because, like like you're saying, you know, when you were new at reloading, and I've sort of only started my journey in the last six months or whatever, and I did find the same thing that you found that there is a lot of YouTube videos from, you know, ultimate reloader. There's, you know, Eric Cortina videos, um, who is, as soon as you start researching reloading, you'll quickly find out that that guy knows his stuff and has a lot of really awesome videos out there. Um, and then you've got the modern day sniper podcast, like you're saying VP precision, you've got all these resources, you've got snipers hide if you want to read forums online. So yeah, like, encouraging people to just dive into those research resources and, and look through what's out there. You're able to, to find a lot of stuff. And it, it just, like you're saying, it gives you a starting place, doesn't it? It gives you a, a platform to launch off of because your own experience and knowledge is maybe not there yet. So you, you bounce off of these other people to give you that start. And then you start finding your own journey, going on your own journey from that starting place. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely right. There's, um, it can get a little bit overwhelming to start with as, as well because there, there is so much out there and I think um, what you're doing is great. If you're able to bring a lot of the you know, the best, of, best of this and the best of that together, um, people can get a, a nice clear understanding of how things work and relate to one another and, and just a, a good direction to move in. That's, that's fantastic. Um, and I think when I first started out reloading, I was definitely... Sort of, sort of the same. I was just calling up people, um, or calling up one good mate who really got me into it um, to start with. And I was just like, oh man, I'm doing this. How do I fix this? And and what does this mean if I'm <laughs> if I'm dumping at this much? Or you know, it's just all those situations um, that you do just need to call up someone quickly and uh, talk talk them through how to set up the sky again. And yeah, so that, that's that's how I did start off. Is, a mate who got me into it went around to his place and he helped me load my ammo and um, I think that's yeah one of the one of the best ways to get going. Yeah, totally. And you'll find that at shooting clubs. Like if you if you don't have that mate, if you're sort of that guy on your own that wants to try reloading and doesn't have that resource, like shooting clubs, whether it's F class, bench rest, PRS style matches, there's going to be someone around that's had this experience before and they're like everyone is so friendly with sharing their journey and helping out. So reach out to people and ask those questions. That's so true. Um, so I really like that. So um, all right, what about what about gear, mate? What um, as far as reloading components like your your press and your dies and things that you're currently using for your sort of precision setup? I know you're just about to change calibers and and start your new um, reloading develop like load development for your new rifle. But what are you where did you start with your press and where are you at now with all of that stuff and how are you throwing powder and, and what have you, is there anything you're going to change uh, going into this new caliber or are you happy with the components you're currently using? Yeah, currently I'm pretty happy with what I got. Um, well, where I started was off country. I, uh, <laughs> I picked up uh, a bloke who's selling, selling like pretty much his, his reloading kit. So he had a staff DBS lock jacker um, the little bean scale, like a tripler, what else? Um, the little the thrower, like the powder thrower, um, a few reloading books. Oh, that's, yeah, that's the other thing. I did read a lot of reloading books. Unfortunately, I've tossed all them now, but um, 
because everything's online. But um, yeah. yeah, so I started off pretty simple with just some real basic gear and um, obviously a few dies of 270. Um, and now I've sort of, I've still got all that gear, but I, my recent purchase is a new press, uh, Frankfurt Arsenal. Um, I think it's called an M-Press. Nice. I think, is that what it is? Frankfurt Arsenal M-Lock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, I think, yeah, it's a single stage, and that's what I'll load all my map stuff on. Um, so now the old press is essentially just a decapping press, so I'll just pump, pump out um, all the, the primers. On that press to keep that one nice and dirty. Yep. Um, and keep the new one clean. Um, other than that, I've got a RCBS light um, dispenser, powder dispenser. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a that's an electronic machine. So you're, you're you're dispensing your powder electronically. Are you finding that has is it temperamental at all with temperature change and the scales on it swinging and moving around versus the beam scale being quite consistent and not fluctuating with, you know, different temperatures in the room, but maybe being a lot slower. What's your battle been there with that? Yeah. So as, as anyone would know, working on a beam scale, it's very tedious and takes a long time, um, but it is also very accurate. And I was just battling time. I just want something that, that, that was a bit quicker. Um, the the um, electronic suspension, um, I think works really well. Uh, I haven't gone into like massive testing to see if it fluctuates too much, but I do make sure that I don't have the fan or the aircon on. Mm-hmm. Um, I let it warm up. Um, sometimes it is a little bit temperamental where I have to, you know, re-throw a charge because uh, it's overthrown. But for the most part, it it, it does what I need. Um, yeah, I think it's a great great addition. It's essentially, while that's dispensing a load, I can be seeking a bullet. In the, in the previous round and then when I turn back it's almost ready again for me so it definitely does um, does help yeah 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 nice what uh, what dies have you been using and what dies are you going to be using when you when you make the change I believe you're going to a six creed more now from a six five is that correct yeah yeah definitely so the six five creed more just had some standard standard uh, deluxe reading deluxe size um, yeah and now I'm sticking with Reading, uh, but I'm going to the Type S so that it's pushing in it yep. um, for the 6 Creedmoor. So I'll be, I'll be trying to size the 6 5 down to 6. And um, I haven't played with it yet, but it, apparently it's doable. So <laughs> I'll have to let you know how that goes. So um, so you've got you've got quite a lot of pieces of 6 5 brass, and you're going to run them yep. through a 6 Creedmoor die. And so you'll drop a, a bushing in the top of that, correct me if I'm wrong, you'll drop a bushing in the top of that which sizes the neck. And are you going to size the neck down from 6.5 to 6 mil in one step or are you going to do that in, in a couple of processes or does it go down in one step without any issues from what you've read? Yeah, well, from what I've read and, um, and heard, I think one step is doable. Um, there, is, there is something that they... Um, they sort of advise you to do, uh, which leads me to another piece of equipment I bought, um, which was a case annealer. Oh, nice. That um, was a question I had for you. And it, I'm literally going to ask every guest, do you anneal? Because so many people just want to know that. <laughs> Apparently they want to know. So what kind of annealing machine did you get? 
Um, so I've got the Mark II case miller. Uh, it's the leader for a bloke who makes them down in Tasmania, I believe. And um, yeah, it's just a gas, gas annealer um, with two rotary wheels and they sort of just rotate around while the gas torches on them. Um, I haven't had any dramas with it. It works really well. Um, probably the only thing is uh, you just need to take your time setting it up to get the timing and the temperature right. Um, but um, so that part of the plan is to anneal all those cases and then put them through the six mil die and um, hopefully that will work all right. And then I'll probably anneal them again afterwards because that's quite a bit of uh, like work, case hardening, or quite a bit of work going through that die. Yep. Um, and and the idea behind the annealing is is it's it's resetting that brass back to its um it's more it's, it's natural state of elasticity is that right so like your your neck tension obviously your brass gets harder after it's it's expanded in the chamber then it's shrunk back down in the die and then you see the bullet in it and obviously that brass is doing a lot of work so then by annealing it and heating it up you're returning the properties in that brass back to a more sort of a, a stringy well not stringy is not the right word a, a springier sort of base so that it's closer to how it was uh, from new so it can hold that bullet with that same amount of neck tension is that that's the sort of the basis behind an annealing as far as i understand it yeah pretty well spot on mate yeah as you as you work things back and forth they um they work harder and get a little bit stiffer and a bit more brittle there's not much uh, not as much flexibility or, or like you said that spring back um yep. so your neck tension does does vary and when i first started annealing i noticed a massive difference um, when seeding bullets, I would, I would usually, when I'm seeding bullets, I'd usually feel some would seed quite easy and some would be um, quite a bit you know, firmer, I guess, as you're seeding them. And then once I started annealing, they were just all the same. They all felt easy. They were all um, seating really nicely. You know, there was no scraping of the copper going up the side of the yeah. projectile. Um, and, and from that, I also noticed my SDs dropping down. So I think it definitely has a direct correlation there um, from neck tension to velocity. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a, a great investment or, or find someone who has one. Yeah, totally. Borrow borrow one. I, I, I was talking to a mate today about potentially going halves in an amp annealer with him, so that's um, that's an option yeah. I'm, I'm working on. And are you thinking you'll anneal um, after every firing? Is that something you're going to add into the process of, you know, shoot a match or – shoot a practice day and then anneal that brass sort of immediately after in the next process of, of loading that brass again? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll probably see how it goes. I'll, I'll probably do it every second one to start with. And if I'm noticing like a, a pretty big variance between like the first firing and the second firing in velocity, um, I might change it to every firing. But I think for now I'll do every second um, purely because it just adds another step. Um, and it will, it will add, it just adds a bit more time, you know what I mean? Yeah. And if I can if I can do it every second or, or even every third, um, it will just save some time in the, in the room reloading. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know as far as, like, we're talking neck tension now, we're, to, we're talking annealing, uh, neck tension being the force that's that's on the projectile um, holding it in place. Do you have an idea in your head of what number you'd like that neck tension to be and, and how you can measure that? Because obviously you can run a smaller bushing 
um, and create more neck tension or a larger bushing and have less neck tension or run an expander mandrel through there and open things back up again. Uh, what's the ballpark for you? Do you, do you have a have an idea? Um, well, I believe the ballpark but sort of between one and three thousand um, of, of spring or of expansion. Like if you measure your your neck diameter before you load a, load a projectile, and then you measure it afterwards, I believe that's classified as the neck tension. Yeah, that's that's the rough yeah. the rough number that where you're sort of using. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So. I don't have a, a number in mind. Um, one thing that concerns me, which I need to do a little bit more reading up on, is going from a six five down to six. Is will that neck get longer or will it get thicker? And I believe it will get longer. Can't imagine because you're essentially shrinking the diameter. Yeah. So, so the brass, imagine. the brass has to go somewhere, right? That's it. So I'm thinking it will get longer. I can't imagine the brass coming in and getting, I can't imagine the neck wall getting thicker. Um, but yeah, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll find out. Um, so I've got two different size um, bushings just to, just to make sure it's all, it's all going to work. Um, and I'll start with the big one and, and see how we go. Yeah, nice. That should be pretty exciting for you. And the reason you've gone... Six mil over the six five. You're just looking for a bit more recoil reduction, and sort of six mil seems to be what a lot of people are using in the PRS game at the moment. Yeah, that's it, mate. I'm just jumping on the on the six bandwagon. Um, <laughs> you know, one of those guys will just follow the crowd. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, that's all right. No, I did. Yeah, I did look into it a little bit. Um, yeah, even even up to a thousand meters, um, you'll get or the numbers I ran get less wind deflection and less drop at a thousand meters with a six mil over a six five. Yeah. Um, and really the only difference is it's gonna be going two hundred feet per second quicker, roughly. Yep. Um, so yeah, and the recoil management definitely a uh, less recoil is definitely a bonus. Um, it's probably something I need to work on is my recoil management. And just throwing more and more weight in the rifle isn't the best best way to deal with that. No, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure it will definitely help. And obviously, ballistically, if it's, if it's ballistically more effective uh, through, the, through the wind, then that's a, that's a bonus. What uh, projectile are you hoping to run in that? Yeah, so I'm just sticking with Hornady again um, because I, I feel like I've had such good, uh, I guess, luck with that. Um yeah, so six mil one oh eight grain ELDM. Yep. Um, yeah, again again I think availability was, was pretty good. Um, I'm used to their their projectiles. I'm not one to really jump between five different projectiles and five different brands and try and find the one that really works. So I'm I'm a little bit more, I don't know, laid back you might say where I'll just just get something and sort of stick with it and make it work. It interests me that you said earlier on, um, with your 270 that you were trying to get this sort of crazy accuracy out of it because you do seem like such a laid back kind of guy that did nothing, nothing really gets to you but um I'm yeah you obviously have some sort of element of, of enjoying the precision and perfection of getting a really good load so that brings me to like what what's going to be acceptable for you with this new rifle with the six creed what what are you hoping to achieve and, and where will you settle at like do you have a a um a group size do you have a, a standard deviation and extreme spread in the velocity that you're happy with where for you with your prs shooting does um yeah. what's the goal 
Oh, that's a that's a pretty good question. Um, maybe I, I would, maybe you haven't asked yourself that question yet, so maybe you should. Nah, no, <laughs> maybe I should. Um, well, I know I, I would really like to get SD um, about of eight. You know, I think an SD of eight or seven or eight is, is quite good and quite achievable without going really into a lot of the real nitty gritty parts of reloading. Yeah, once you, once you start really trying to get you know, standard deviation and that real accuracy, suddenly it just induces more steps and more processes and more um, accuracy in all the reloading components. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think my mentality has definitely changed since my first rifle where I'd be happy with a, a sub-half-inch rifle. Nah, let's be honest. I want, I want them pretty well cloverleafing. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> want you yeah. want you want a one hole gun. You just know that maybe you your abilities as a shooter might not be able to make that happen. That's, that's it. That's it. I want I want a one hole gun, and if I can shoot it half inch, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, that's it. So yeah, about a standard deviation of seven or eight. Um, it's been said of think fifteen or fifteen to twenty. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Um, and something that's clover leafing, raggedy holes, sort of in ten shots, uh, would be fantastic. Yeah. And whether I want to spend the time to find that or not, um, it come down to how much I haven't prepared for a match. Yeah. I reckon. Totally. <laughs> totally. It's yeah. and and how how often are you checking? As I know for myself, I sort of got quite caught shooting shooting groups so often and 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 loading and loading something and then going and shooting a group and then loading and shooting again and checking before a match and then checking again and and as the the as the environment changes as the mirage changes and the target looks different or there's wind or no wind that group and your zero on your rifle is going to move around a little bit it's never going to be massive unless there's a lot of weather going on but I sort of did my own head in, in as far as trying to track my zero and just wanting that, you know, group to be centered up right on that, you know, little five cent piece every single time I shot it. And that wasn't achievable with my skill set and the conditions and environment I was shooting in. So for you, once you, you're happy with that load, how often are you checking and verifying speeds and, you know, running things over a, a lab radar or a, a magneto speed, which is a chronograph for people that might not know, which sort of gives you your, your feet per second of your rounds. How often are you checking all that data? Well, to be honest, probably nowhere near as much as I should be. Right. So so you and I need to meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that's it. So, like, again, when I first started out, I would when a mate and myself used to go out hunting, I'd be like, yeah, awesome, no worries, let's take you know, cardboard target down and, and we'll just zero, up our, zero our rifles. And, you know, 50 rounds later and two hours have gone and we're like, great, so should we go and try and <laughs> hunt now? Or <laughs> So, um, but recently, especially um, like at the start of last year, before COVID and things, I was really getting into the, okay, so rock up the range, stop spending so much time Checking stuff, um, like once, you, like definitely once you've found a, a round that works and you're happy with it, and you've got your original velocity. Like just myself, I just needed to make sure that I went, yep, cool, that's sort of have a bit of faith in my system and my reloading, and I would try and get to the range, maybe do one or two shots at 100, do one or two shots at the 500, 
And if I hit a 500 and my test was saying that dope's on, then wait. Yeah. If I found that if I found that I was hitting high or low at 500 and my data on the test was was off, then I might go back and check velocity. Yeah. Um, but essentially, I just made sure on at 100, on at 500, and then I would try and get in some actual practice on a barricade or or a positional shooting. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think that would be much more beneficial than um, just sitting behind checking checking groups and velocity all the time. Yep. Yeah, nice. Nice, mate. Oh, that's good. How far off is the new rifle? Oh, it better be not far at all. <laughs> um, no, I'm very, very keen to get it. Um, I haven't spoken to Ash for a while now. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard anything either, so... I, I will follow that up. I'm, I think last time we spoke was about two weeks ago, and he was saying it was about one or two weeks. He was just waiting for the, the tuner to come in um, and a bulk shroud. So yeah, shouldn't be too far out. But I have picked up my two three and I've been playing with that. Spoke that in the, the other weekend. Yeah. Um, and yeah, couldn't couldn't be happier. Like for a two two three armor barrel running factory loads, it was. Uh, I tried. I tested 55 grain and the 69 grain, and they're both clover leafing. Like, yeah, um, yeah, fantastic. Couldn't be happier. Yeah, awesome. 223 seems like such an inviting caliber. Like I don't have one myself, but I've been thinking about getting one as a trainer yeah. that can just throw into my same chassis that I have, and for you know readily av- available components, either factory ammo or reloading it. And it also just seems like quite an easy round to load for. Like if you. If you had a two two three in your in your shed and you'd never reloaded before and you were thinking about giving reloading a try, a two two three would probably mm. be such an awesome round to give yourself a crack at reloading. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a great round to start off with. Um, because there'd be so many components for it, um, it'd be so easy to get stuff for. Um, and yeah, reloading parts and um, it is, I feel like it is a rather forgiving caliber and, and it's I feel like it's pleasant to shoot as well. Um, probably because it's a heavy rifle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, like you said, the, the cost of it um, and buying bulk ammo is great. And or starting out reloading as well, it's great. There'd be so much, so much information out there on two D three. Yeah, great, great place to start. Do you enjoy the process of reloading? Is that is that something you enjoy? And the load development side of it is that also something you enjoy? Yeah, I do. I, I'm the sort of person who likes to figure out how things work, and if, if something's not working, I try and delve into okay, how can I make this better? How can I make it more accurate? What am I doing wrong here? So I, I do have that side of me that's very um, particular and, and sort of OCD. Um, but at the same time, sometimes I just go, you know what, stuff it. Like I'm happy with how it's working, and I'll just run it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I do have a, a bit of both both sides there. Um, and yeah, where was I going with that? Well, well, that kind of that kind of <laughs> no, no, that's all right. That kind of leads into um, this probably sort of to cap things off here with you would be I'm interested to hear what you're planning to do for your load development process with this new rifle um, and mm. how that differs from what you did with your, your past rifle. Cause now that you've learned a lot more, I'm, I'm curious whether your load development process is going to change or whether you were happy with how you 
developed the load yeah. the last time. Walk, walk me through what you're keen to do there because that's something that <laughs> I'm really interested right. in. Yeah, I'd like to know too, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so pretty well to start with, I'll be taking all of my subscribe graphs, sizing it back down, trimming it, deburring, uh, doing my flash holes, uh, doing all the final pockets, just trying to make all my brass as uniform as possible. Yep. Um, and I think that's a, a good place to start because you start with a, a good foundation of brass and you keep that brass and you keep reloading that same brass. Um, it's going to stay consistent throughout it, or sort of consistent throughout its life. If you, if you keep with the, the overall length and the trimming and the degurring and everything, the, the rest of it should stay relatively the same, I feel. Um, and then from in terms of load development wise, um, I'll probably be looking for a flat spot in velocity. Um, because I'm getting the tuna on the end of the barrel, I'll be looking for a flat spot in velocity. Um, and I'll probably lean towards the lower node mm-hmm. um, in, that, in that velocity. Yeah, so then, just... I'll just clarify quickly in case there's anyone listening that that's not up to speed. I mean, a lot of people will be, but by lower yeah, ne- yeah, by sure. lo- by lower node, I guess you're saying like you you look at that velocity spread across different charge weights, and then you'll find those spots where maybe across three or four different charges, it actually flattens out and kind of goes around the same speed, and then you'll find those charges where suddenly it jumps right up in speed. And so, what you want to be doing is loading in that that flat spot so that if your charge was a little bit over or a little bit under your rounds are going to be similar similar speed and now you're saying something which which is quite interesting to me you're you're wanting to go with the lower node so being on the slow side not up with your fast flat spot that's something yeah. i had to talk myself into doing because i wanted to chase the velocity but i actually ended up having a friend sort of guide me and say no you that that lower one is is really accurate, and it's going to be super consistent across different temperatures and things. What's your reasoning behind wanting to stick with that lower node? Yeah, well, that was that was definitely one of the factors with the fluctuation in temperature and that round being a little bit more stable in its mm-hmm. velocity, um, and also now going to six mil, or um, other people might know it as like a two four three essentially. Um, mm-hmm. They're known for, for burning out barrels pretty quick. Um, right. Well, there's they're definitely a fast round, so I just wanted to try and preserve my barrel, I guess. Yeah. Um, and and also with lower pressures and, and lower velocity, just have a, a lower pressure spike, obviously, and your brass isn't possibly worked so hard, and it, or or it might not grow in length quite as quickly um, if you're punching out high velocities and high pressures. Um, yeah, so that, that was my, my take on it, whether that's um, legit or not. Yeah. I, I've never actually tested that, like growing in length yeah. um, with a high charge or a low charge. No, I think, um, I think yeah. you're, you're on the money. Like a lot of top shooters are loading low and slow and they're not really worrying about going super, super fast. And yeah, there would be a time and place to try and push the velocity if you're in a your hunting situation and you need knockdown power and you need a nice flat shot and you're not taking long strings of fire. For sure, but for mm. what we're doing and what you're doing with the PRS, that that makes so much sense. Um, so after you've got that flat spot and you're happy with where your velocity node is, are you playing with seating depth to get your seating depth node? Or now with the barrel tuners, does that kind of give you the flexibility to load that bullet where you want it in the magazine length, or you know, sort of fitting comfortably within the 
within the magazine and then just play with the tuna to get the group to shrink down? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, essentially. So, I, yeah, I did, I did jump a few steps there. So I would like to obviously load it as far out as possible. So, and I probably will be, uh, um, I'm not totally sure, but I might be restricted with magazine length. Um, so I will just load it as far as I can um, comfortably in the magazine. Um, mm. but, and if it does hit the land, then I'll, I'll bring it back. Um, obviously, like two or three thousand. Um, and just just so I've also got reliability. Because when you're out in a match, if it's if you're in dusty conditions or wet conditions, um, having that bit extra bit extra play is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll probably I won't play with seed and get a whole lot. I'll load it and run it, and then I'll play with the velocity to find um, the flat spot. And then yeah. try and tune up the accuracy with the barrel tuner. Yeah, and that's that's my sort of take on it. Um, yeah, and if, if that doesn't work, I'll um, I guess try something else. Yeah, now the barrel tuners is is a very interesting topic, and we've got. Um, we're, we're sort of planning on doing something at some point in, in an upcoming video for the projectile warehouse or maybe even impact dynamics, YouTube channels where we want to do some data and do some testing with a barrel tuner, um, that we're going to mm-hmm. get a hold of and, and, and run some tests with those. They're very interesting. And I wanted one initially when I started doing hand loading, because I was maybe a little bit nervous that I wasn't going to be able to make good rounds. So I thought if I had a barrel tuner on the end, I could just turn the thing until my, my, my round shrank down. Um, yep. But they are they are kind of, yeah, an interesting topic. They're a hot topic at the moment. A lot of people in our industry, uh, in the PRS stuff, are, are running them and talking about them, but they have been around for a, a really long time. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just very I, interesting. I believe, yeah, I believe, um, I think I was speaking to Rusty about them. I said, well, where, where do these things sort of start out? And he sort of mentioned all rifles that, have to run factory ammunition like 22 LR. Um, where you have to run factory ammunition, mm-hmm. a barrel tuner would be a good spot for that because you can really tune in that factory ammo. Right. So, really, by saying that, I probably should have got a tuner on my 2D3 running right, factory. Because you're running factory ammo with it. Right. That, yeah, that's it. Because with factory, you don't get the option of, well, you, I mean, you can feed it in further, but you don't get the option of playing around with powder charges or extending your seating depth or you know, all the little you know, bits and pieces. Um, so you're limited to tuning the barrel. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting that it's, um, it's a, I mean, a great concept um, to be able to tune up your, your 22 LR and, and other factory shooting rifles. Um, but I think it's, it's a good, sort of a good idea for centrifiers as well, especially if you're thinking of moving to a, or shooting in a comp in a different state or a totally different climate or altitude where that could throw out your your, your harmonic yeah. um, where you can just quickly, you know, 10, 20 rounds, tune it up a little bit yeah. um, could definitely be an advantage, yeah. It sort of fast tracks that load development process and you'd still obviously want to do your load development very um very precisely and consistently mm. and then use that barrel tuner for that last sort of little bit because um, you're able to, for, for people that maybe don't know that, it's it's, it's um, changing the harmonics of the barrel. So you're sort of, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you're basically changing and playing with the amount the the barrel moves under under vibration with the 
the energy of the you know the round being fired through it and so the point with which the bullet leaves the muzzle is is going to be different across different charges and across different um uh, seating depths with the bullet but then with that barrel tuner again that weight which slides sort of closer to the action or further out towards the end you're changing that timing of the barrel really aren't you you're changing that point where the bullet flicks out the end and you can find that sweet spot where it's doing that consistent thing over and over. Yeah, yeah, it's totally spot on. The way, the way I like to think about it is, did you ever like, install play that, like you can bend, bend the pen or bend the pencil where you hold the pencil up in front of you and move it up and down and it looks like the, bend, the pencil yeah. is bending? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I sort of think of it like that. Like your barrel, although it's not moving that much, as that bullet's flying down there, it is, whipping up and down and side to side ever so slightly. Yeah. And um, you'll see it a lot more on, now that I realise this, you'll see a lot more on thinner hunter-style barrels because yeah. there's less material there, less rigidity. Yeah. And that's um, obviously why I, why I sort of gave up on trying to get the accuracy out of my 270. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, and that, that, that on the other side, that's why you see uh, competition rifles with such huge thick barrels because they're just, they will stay straight and true yeah. uh, while that harmonic is going, whipping down that barrel. Mm. This and might then, this might yeah. be getting too technical and too deep, but I, I'm going to go there anyway. Did you see, um, <laughs> did you listen to Ted Courageous talking on that? Um, we were talking about the um, modern day sniper summit that they had. Um, mm. Ted Courageous from American Rifle Company, I believe it is, he, he had an episode there talking about um, barrels and and talking about barrel harmonics. Did you listen to that one at all? I don't know if I have gone to that one yet. Yeah, so no. that, super interesting, and I I, I feel like I, I may struggle to explain this without being able to draw it out because he also did a a diagram on a whiteboard, so you could actually sort of see what he was talking about. But he was yeah. basically talking about how an accurate barrel isn't necessarily a really rigid barrel it's a heavy mm. noodly barrel and these were his words right he was saying heavy noodly barrel and i was like what does he mean by noodly and sort of what he what he was explaining was when it when a bullet's fired as we've been talking about and the barrel whips around and moves around um when mm. the bullet leaves the muzzle you're obviously aiming to get that bullet to leave the muzzle with the the muzzle flicking around and and moving it moves up and down side to side sort of oscillates around you want the bullet coming out with the muzzle in the same spot every single time. Now, yep. there's a slow point um, where the muzzle accelerates, let's say it goes up first and it accelerates up and it reaches its max position where it can't go up anymore and then it flexes back down and it reaches its bottom position where it can't go low anymore and it sort of goes through this cycle. Now, if the bullet's mm. coming out in the middle of that cycle, that means the barrel's moving. It's in transition either up or down. So yeah. by tuning these loads, either with a barrel tuner or with seating depth and different powder, we're trying to get that point where the barrel's at the very peak or at the very bottom of its cycle. So it's releasing the bullet the same every time and the barrel's not moving. Now, what he was explaining mm. was a heavy noodly barrel. So what he was meaning is if you've got something that's really rigid, it, it vibrates very quickly and oscillates very quickly and the, and the movements are the acceleration curve is fast and sharp so it's harder to slow down. Whereas if you've got something that's heavy and, and flexible, as it moves, it's kind of like this big slow bend because it's got weight behind it but it's flexy. Um, 
And so the, I found that really interesting because I've always thought the same thing, like rigid barrel, rigid barrel. But uh, a thicker barrel isn't necessarily what he was saying for rigidity. The thickness is there for the weight to slow the slow that flick down. Um, and obviously he was saying if you could get something completely rigid, if you you know had a barrel the size of a house with a tiny little hole in it and obviously there was no movement whatever and it was just completely rigid yeah that would be ideal but because barrels are Mm. going to flex he was saying that having flex is not a bad thing that's why you can get these sporter weight rifles like with thin little barrels on them i've seen ticker t3 lights just shoot insane little groups and you're like wait that's Mm. a tiny skinny little barrel how is that shooting well but it's to do with the the you know the 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 harmonics of that barrel are obviously just really good and it's it's not moving too fast and it's it's doing something consistently and so i found that just so fascinating it was it was too much information to process i was like right i can <laughs> i can't actually tune for this it's nice to know that it's going on but <laughs> yeah 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 i found that definitely with a, a few of the uh, the episodes where there's so much information i remember one of them was talking about reloading and i just thought to myself Man, I've been doing this wrong for so long. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, there's some amazing, amazing guys out there who really know their stuff, and that that does make a lot of sense. Um, as as the barrel moves up and down, you want to try and find those spots where there's it's what as minimal movement as possible. Yeah, it's perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, it it made sense in my head too when I heard it, and I was just like, oh, it just it made sense, but it hurt at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it sounds like, sound like there's plenty of stuff to dive into just yet. Yeah. Oh, mate, it's endless. And, like, you'll come across it. You would have found this. There'll be so many different opinions out there, and that's what I'm excited about with this podcast as well, is there'll be heaps of different opinions, and everyone will do it a little bit differently. Or, you know, some people might adamantly say to you, no, you're doing something the wrong way. But at the end of the day, if, if we're all getting rounds out there, you know, and we're, and we're having fun and we're getting the rifle to do what we intend to do with it, um, that that's the goal really, isn't it? And you, you can get a little bit lost um, unless you sort of just sort of choose your path and, and, and go for it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, we're all in this to, to have fun and get out there and bring some skill or, or go out hunting or get out into the nature and um, reloading another part of it where I can sort of, I sort of just sit back and I'll put on a movie with the computer next to me and yeah. kick back and, yeah. That's awesome, man. No, dude, I, I really, really, I'm getting conscious of not keeping you too long, but it's been really fun just chatting. I didn't, because um, sort of with the guests pulling out, I didn't have uh, specific questions lined up, so it's more sort of just turned into a good chat with you, and we, we covered a lot of ground. I'm, I'm really uh, thankful for you coming on, mate, and, and talking reloading and talking shooting in general with me. Um, yeah, where can people find you? Like as far as do you do you do the social media thing? Are you are you doing that? How can we get in contact with Andy Little? I'm sure there'll be some people that might have some questions for you about reloading or questions about PRS. Uh, are you happy to answer those on, on some of your platforms? Yeah, definitely. And I always always mix this up because I can never remember what I um <laughs> what my accounts are under. Um but yeah, on on Instagram, um I'm Andy Little PRS. Yep. And on uh, Facebook, I'm pretty sure it's um, a little precision rifle. Yeah, I've really enjoyed that. And then it's, um, I feel like we're going to have a massive journey in front of us and we'll both, we'll both get through it. And, and yeah, it's been great chatting with you. 
Yeah, no, nah, mate, I really appreciate it and uh, be keen to have you down uh, maybe during some of that load development process and uh, have you come down and, and shoot my range with me and uh, just sort of see everything in action. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah, no, that would be fantastic and I'm, I'm sure I'll probably stuff something up and be like, hang on, hang on, <laughs> let's record this. <laughs> gold. That's it. Gold. All right, mate, cool. nah, really appreciate it. So uh, I'll, I'll wrap things up here, mate, and uh, we'll... Yeah. We'll call it done. Thank you heaps. Yeah, easy, man. No worries. No worries, dude. Thank you for listening to the From the Bench podcast presented by Projectile Warehouse. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel and also follow all of our social medias for updates and upcoming episodes. We hope you're enjoying the journey of reloading as much as we are and we'll catch you on the next episode.